The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Please join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others your trespasses, their heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I am uh, excited to be able to preach this morning and excited to be able to preach in this series that we've been going through. We've been looking at intimacy with God, uh, intimacy with, with God's people. And uh, as I was preparing for this morning, it, it hit me how, how much of what I wanted to share from our passage this morning really flows out of what we've been talking about in the previous weeks. It's very much connected. Uh, each request, additional request we see in the Lord's Prayer is building on the previous week. So if you've missed some of the previous weeks, I would highly encourage you to go to the website and listen to some of those. The, the request this morning, the part that we're looking at this morning, is give us this day our daily bread. And as I began studying this, I realized that this request is way more involved than just, please put a hamburger on my plate today. And, and it made me think about a time in my life when for my wife and myself, we prayed a prayer that wound up being far more involved than we had imagined. When we first got married, we prayed, God, will you please send us overseas? We wanted to move overseas and serve Him over there. And we did all the preparation we could. We went through training, we read so many books, and we thought, okay, we are prepared. We still had no idea how stressful that would be. And to demonstrate that, I can tell you that from the years 2000 to 2010, and keep in mind, 2010 was when my family moved to Senegal, which is in West Africa, uh, the number of times that I broke down bawling in tears was when both of my grandmothers passed away, when my aunt passed away, and then our first month in Senegal when the can opener broke in our kitchen. And then the month after that, when I was really stressed after taking our daughter to school. And then the month after that, when I was really stressed about driving in Senegal. Once a month, for our first six months in Senegal, I just broke down crying uncontrollably, having no idea how involved that request was, God send us overseas. And yet, the only other time in my life when I was really that emotional was when God told us to leave Senegal. And I remember seeing places and thinking, man, I'm going to miss this. 
God did so many things in, in, in my life, in my, uh, in my family's life, that, he, that, that, that would not have happened had we not asked that request and stepped out in faith. Uh, and so this morning I hope that we'll see that the same is true with this request. Again, we might not think a request, give us today our daily bread, is, is as involved as that, but we will see that it is. Uh, let me pray uh, quickly before we jump into this passage. Father, we pray for your strength this morning. Will you guide us as we seek understanding of your word and seek to apply it to our lives? Uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen. When we look to this, this request, the, the very first thing that we see is that this passage is teaching us to draw near to God. Uh, and this, this passage is teaching quite a bit more than that. For the disciples, whenever they heard this request, give us today our daily bread, their minds would have immediately gone back to the Old Testament. There was a time when after God had delivered His people from Egypt, they were in the desert for 40 years on the way to the land that God had promised them and God provided bread from heaven every single day. That would have been immediately what their minds would have gone to. And if we understand a little bit about what was happening there, we'll we'll understand a little bit more about what Jesus is teaching His disciples. Uh, We see in the book of Exodus how God miraculously brings His people out of slavery and delivers them. In Exodus chapter 15, you see an incredible worship service. You see Miriam leading the people of God in song. And you see the nation of Israel singing, Praise be to our God. He is all-powerful. He is great. He is amazing. The end of chapter 15, it takes three days... And then Israel is saying, I am thirsty, God, where are you? Within 15 days, we see in Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, Israel is even saying, uh, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill us. Whole assembly with hunger. Can you imagine that? They go from praising God who is almighty, all powerful, and within two weeks, you're trying to kill us. What are you doing? That did not take very long. Uh, and, and what, what is going on here? They, they were reminiscing for the good old days. Back when we were in Egypt. Back when we were in slavery. Can you imagine that? This uh, reminds me, my dad always says, the good old days is usually a combination of a good imagination and a bad memory. And that is exactly what Israel has. They are selectively remembering certain things, and then they're imagining it to be far better than it ever was. Uh, And so God knows that His people have this memory problem. And so He also knows they need to eat. So he does provide for them, but we look at how he provides. In chapter 16, verse 4, he says, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Uh, We see God providing, but saying, I'm going to provide for you one day at a time. And he even tells the people, do not try to gather enough and keep it for the next day. It's going to go bad. 
I want you to gather one day's worth of bread and trust me for the next day. You trust me that there will be bread there tomorrow. Why? Why would God have done that? Surely it's not because he lacked resources, is it? We have seen what he did bringing people out of Egypt. Had God wanted the best food trucks of Memphis to follow alongside the people of God in the wilderness, he could have done that, right? They could have had a buffet all the way to uh, to the promised land. God could have given them that, but he did not. He said, I want you to look to me every single day and trust me. Trust that I will provide. Why? Why is God doing that? Let me read one more verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where God reveals why He did that. He says, uh, verse 3, And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He humbled you. He wanted you to know that you need more than just bread. Even as essential as bread is, you will die without it if you do not have food. Even as essential as that is, they needed to rely on God for everything. And God knew that if, if I'm giving you weekly bread then you're coming to me weekly. If I'm giving you annual bread, you're coming to me annually. And I think we know that would be the case. If, if Imagine if you lost your job and you were dependent on somebody, a friend who has a store, and he said, hey, come in once a week, get, get the food you need, then you can go back and feed your family. For the first week, you would likely go up there every single day and say, thank you, thank you. I'm really thankful for this, thank you. The second week, you're probably just going to send a text message after you the day after. And you're going to say, hey, can't make it up to thank you in person, but, but thank you. Maybe a month later, you're, then it's just every week, thank you. I appreciate that. By a couple months, it's kind of like, hey, by the way, uh, Coke is out of stock. Can you, can you replenish that? Right? We, we go from being so grateful and dependent, and it doesn't take long until we are, are thinking, man, what are you doing? Are you, do you not care about me? God wants us to rely on Him, to trust Him, and to be content with simplicity. He wants us to be content to not hoard, to not go out and gather as much as we can to make sure that our financial future is secure. Uh, and, and yet when we, when we dig a little deeper in this passage, that's the background. Draw near to God. We see what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is He's also saying, draw near to God's kingdom. This is more than just a generic statement about living simply and trusting God. This goes more than that, and I think we realize that when we see how Matthew has placed the Lord's Prayer and how he has organized the material. Right? If you, uh, I have been watching a lot of NBA basketball recently, and uh, I'm not a LeBron fan, but he has really been playing well. And I remember when, when LeBron came in the league, he had number 23. That was, that, that was not haphazard, right? And there was this discussion of, hey, there was an old 23, Michael Jordan. And so there's this discussion of, well, is the new 23 as good as the old 23? Okay. Alright? Now the answer is no, but... <laughs> 
See, I grew up with, with the old 23. But... But we, you can immediately see that symbol is making a statement. Matthew, in the way he has arranged his material, is making a statement. Uh, in the book of Exodus, God brings his people out of Egypt. He has them pass through the Red Sea. They spend 40 years in the desert. And then Moses, because Israel is now in this new situation... They're no longer in slavery. They're a new community in a new environment. They need new teaching. They need revelation from God to know how do we now live in this new situation. So Moses goes up on a mountain and receives revelation from God. And and we, we tend to think of Moses with the first five books of the Bible. Now think about this, what Matthew does. Chapter 2 of Matthew, Jesus comes out of Egypt. Chapter 3, Jesus goes through the waters of baptism. Chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's in the desert for 40 days being tempted. He is triumphant in his temptation. We get to chapter 5, this sermon, the sermon on the where? On the mount. He goes up a mountain, gets a teaching, and he's delivering this teaching for the people of God because there's a new situation. And this teaching of Jesus, there are... You want to guess how many teaching sections there are in the Gospel of Matthew? There's five. Matthew is very much saying, we have a a new number 23, except the new number 23, there is no debate. There is no debate whatsoever. Jesus is the king. And that is what he's declaring. Moses received teaching from God, and he said, you follow this teaching. Jesus says, you follow me. That, that, so when we're talking about we trust God, we live with simplicity, Jesus is telling his disciples to live simply, to trust God. Why? Because he's calling them to join him in his kingdom work. And this is where we need to be careful and realize that when we say trust God, we can trust somebody in the same, in the way that we trust an advisor, right? I can trust a financial advisor and say, hey, uh, you have an expertise that I do not have. I need you to take my money. And I could ask any number of things. I could say, hey, I want to be rich. I want to retire at 50. I want to be able to vacation. Or I can say, hey, you have an expertise. How do I become more generous? I could go to a financial advisor with any number of, uh, of requests. And he says, okay, this is what you do with your money. And I can say, all right, I trust him. I trust my financial advisor, to, and whatever he or she tells me to do with my money, that's what I'm going to do. But it's still my goals, right? It's my money. It's my agenda. That is not what Jesus is doing. When he says trust God, he is not saying you bring your agenda to God and God will bless that. Trust him to bless your agenda. Jesus is saying I am calling you to be a part of my kingdom and and you need to trust me. And we see that uh, in the same way that Israel being out of uh, out of Egypt, they needed new teaching because this was a new era. This with Jesus is a new era. The kingdom is different. We see things happening with the kingdom that that should shock us, right? We see uh, who are heroes in the kingdom. There's there's a widow 
who has a few pennies to throw in the offering plate. All right, That's a hero. We think of the disciples. They're out there preaching in the book of Acts, and other people are not saying, wow, those are, they're really intelligent. Right? That's not what we see. Other people are sitting back thinking, you know, I don't, I don't think he ever went to college, because that's about the fifth double negative I've heard. Or, uh, the, the, they are not impressed with the disciples and their education. When we look at, in a, in a patriarchal society, male-dominated society, who is traveling with Jesus? It's the 12 disciples, but if we look in Luke chapter 8, the first three verses, there was a group of women who were the primarily ones financing what was going on. Right? Many of them had been sick. There were some among the group who had been demon-possessed. Jesus is pulling people from all over, people that society doesn't think these are the people who would be heroes. And Jesus is saying, I'm building my kingdom, and these are the people that I'm calling to join with me. And he's looking at the disciples and saying, trust God, live simply, follow me. This very much changes how we think about trusting God and living simply when we recognize that this is part of Jesus' kingdom agenda. One of the uh, changes that we see is whenever we trust God, we truly are freed up to be about God's kingdom. We see this with the disciples, do we not? The disciples, they quit their jobs... And they said, we're following Jesus. We don't know where food's coming from, but we're going, to trust, we're going to trust King Jesus. And so when Jesus tells them in Matthew chapter 10, I want you to go village by village. Don't take food with you. Just go out and trust that I will provide. They could do that. They were able to do that because they, they had this idea of, God, you will provide daily bread for me. So I can take that risk. When Jesus is sending his disciples, Matthew 28, to the all nations and saying, I want you to go out, they can do that. Why? Because they trust that God will provide them. He will provide their daily bread. To think about a few concrete ways in which this impacts our life. I remember a couple years ago, I think this was during the uh, the ice bucket challenge. Uh, do you remember the ice bucket challenge? I, I can't remember exactly when that was, but there I became introduced to the term slacktivism. Uh, slacker activism. And I want to be careful here because I think that the ice bucket challenge, that really did do some good. It did raise a, a fair bit of money. But there were a lot of people who joined that that movement, and they really didn't give anything up. And and, uh, I remember last month when Richard preached, he referenced a book by Sherry Turkle that talked about the ways in which social media is changing our lives. Uh, One of the, the books that she wrote looks at how social media has even changed the way we think about activism. So often we, we post something on Facebook and, and we think that we've really done something bold. We, we've, we've really taken out and ventured and made this huge step. Uh, and sometimes everyone in our whole Facebook friend list already agrees with us, so there's not much risk going on. That is not what Jesus is talking about. When he says, you rely on me, you trust in me, then all of a sudden, we are willing to really take some risk. We are willing to to genuinely step out in faith. 
I think of uh, last week in Mission Sunday, we, we mentioned we're praying for five individuals or families to be sent out from downtown church. If we're praying for these things, we have got to think, first of all, God, you can provide. No matter where you send me, you can provide. When we think about career decisions that we make, are we willing to to make career decisions that do not promote our long-term financial sustainability? But are we willing to say, I'll take a risk because I'm trusting God and I'm about His kingdom and He'll provide the food on my table. I'm willing to do that. Uh, Are we willing to, uh, if we are still in certain jobs, do those jobs in a way to where we're saying, securing my financial security is not the most important. I'm going to live in a way that God's kingdom is the most important and I'm trusting God to put food on my table. Uh, To give you one brief example that is more of a negative example of how we cannot do this. I remember when my family, we lived in Senegal and I went to primarily be involved in, in a particular ministry. And when I got there, that ministry was had some significant struggles, I will say. And at some point, somebody had a radical proposal of, maybe we need to just stop that particular ministry. Right? A, a negative example is what my first thought was, well, well what am I going to do then? I raised support. I was sent over here to do this one thing. If this thing isn't there, what do I do? Right? Who... Who's the focus on here? It's on on me, right? Many of us are are involved in different ministries. We work at non-profits. It can very easily, we can think, well, no, we can't make that statement because that's going to hurt our fundraising. Or, no, we we can't make that move because what what am I going to do? That has just got to go off the table. We've got to be willing to say, we're serving, we're about God's kingdom. If that implies some risk for me, and it implies that uh, maybe I don't know what I'm going to do next, then that's where I'm going. That's where I'm following God. It also, it allows us to, to set aside our egos, to say, I am not the main person here. And even if I don't get praised, I'm still serving God. I, I, I remember this year, my... Uh, my wife is a teacher. She did Memphis Teacher Residency. Uh, and one day, she, she was talking to her mentor and told her mentor, yeah, kind of a rough day today. I had to call a parent. And the parent cussed me out. To which her mentor said, well, congratulations. Now you're a real teacher, right? Uh, so you, you set out to do this job. And not only do you not get thanks, but somebody is even cussing you out. Is God enough? Do, do we believe that God is enough? That I don't need praise from other people? That I can step into a role where people don't notice it? People don't see what I'm doing? And I'm going to continue to serve faithfully? Can we do that? And, uh, and I want us to think about how... Jesus is telling his disciples to pray this every single day. Why? Even though we've made some great sacrifices, every one of us can still be tempted to believe that God is not enough. The disciples had made tremendous sacrifice. And yet when Jesus is on his way to the cross, what are they arguing about? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? 
Who's going to get the most attention? You might be tempted to think, well, surely I'm involved in this great activity and it's not about me because look at all these sacrifices I've made. That don't mean nothing, right? You, you may have made some great sacrifices and worked selflessly, but today you need to wake up and go to God and say, God, even though I trusted you yesterday, today I need you to make sure that it is not about me. But I am serving you and your kingdom. Draw near to God. Draw near to God's kingdom. Last point, looking at draw near to God's people. Draw near to God. Draw near to God's kingdom. Draw near to God's people. Notice this prayer does not say, give me my daily bread. It says, give us our daily bread. I remember when we were in Senegal once, we were having a prayer meeting. And some of the the rural pastors that we worked with were praying for rain. They were saying, hey, we've had times in the past where it doesn't rain, our crops don't grow, and we've really struggled to put food on the table. So imagine how that impacted the rest of the group. We had American missionaries. Our salary did not depend on rain. We had Senegalese urban pastors. Their salary really didn't depend on rain either. But for the rural pastors... What they ate, that depended on the rain. And so we prayed for that, but then at the end of that, we also said, alright, what can we all do together to be the answer to our own prayer? How can we work together? Now that I know, because we prayed together, now that I know what your need is, what can we do to work through this? Uh, we see this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a verse where... Uh, Paul is highlighting the generosity of the Macedonians. And he says, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. And even right after that, he quotes the passage in the Old Testament about the bread from heaven. When we are concerned about our bread, get this, I'm not concerned about my bread, I'm concerned about our bread then that changes the prayer. We're doing this in community. We have to do this in community. All of a sudden, if I'm praying beside a friend and I say, give me my bread, and God gives me two hamburgers, if it's give me mine, I'm going to say, sorry man, i got to go. I need to, hit the, I need to go to the store because I usually get heartburn after I eat too many hamburgers. Uh, so I need to go buy some, some antacids, right? If I'm saying give us our bread and I get two hamburgers, I'm saying, oh, Here you go. God gave me more so that I could share with you. We have got to draw near to God's people. And uh, another area where this, this must be done in community. Earlier I talked about how God is calling us to live a simple lifestyle. What does that mean? A simple lifestyle. In 1974, there was a group of church leaders from around the, the world who were gathered for a conference. It was the, the, the Lausanne movement. And they came up with this document about how they were trying to work together to figure out how they were going to serve. And one of the lines in there said, those of us in affluent circumstances will strive to live a simple lifestyle. What does that mean? That was 1974. In 1980, they realized that, you know what, we need to have a conference on that thing by itself. What is a simple lifestyle? If 
If you have only ever lived around people that are just like you in your situation, your economic level, and someone asks you, do you live a simple lifestyle? Almost everybody's going to say yes, right? We can all find somebody and think of somebody who lives more extravagantly than we do. It's only when we get in community and start doing this together that then we realize... You know what? My life is not as simple as I once thought it was. And, you know, I thought I was trusting God alone, but apparently I'm not trusting God as much as I, I thought. Apparently I'm trusting my financial resources. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the resources at, at my disposal more. What, what doing this in community involves is all of the sudden we're able to have people help us with our blind spots. All of a sudden, we look at ourselves and we can think, man, look at this sacrifice that I'm making. Uh, I remember again, when when we were in Senegal, we we only had one air conditioning unit in one room of our house that we would sometimes turn on and cool it down to 85 degrees. And we say that in some settings and people are so impressed, right? Wow, how did you only have air conditioning in that one room and you would sleep when it was hot and... I guarantee you, you go to so many parts of the world, nobody's impressed. They're not thinking, wow, that's amazing. How could you live without central air? They're not even remotely close to being impressed. They're thinking more of, why do you need air conditioning in that one room? Right? When we say, I want to strive to live a life where I live simply and I trust God alone, we need the community. This prayer has got to be done in community. We need to draw near to God, draw near to God's kingdom, uh, and draw near to God's people. That's what we need to do. And we need to wake up every single day and have that at the, at the, the first thought that we have and something that guides us all day long. And as I read this, as I studied this, as I prepared for this, this uh, these past few weeks, this was very refreshing to me to think about this. For this reason, just about every single day, it seems like we read a different story in the news about somebody in power and authority who is abusing it. We, we've, we see it with political leaders. We see examples that we're thinking, what, what are they doing? We, we see this abused all over the place. We, we see, uh, even within the church, there, there are examples where we see people that have power, have authority, and they're not, they're not using it to pursue God's kingdom. It's about them. And we can see them even hurting other people. What we look at when we see the Lord's Prayer, when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, we see something completely different when it comes to power and authority. We see a king who, uh, there's nothing hiding in his closet. If I think about, I would really like to devote my life to a cause, I would really love for there to be true contentment in my life, and to not be entrapped to things, to money. Man, follow Jesus. If there's anything that we that you take away from the sermon this morning is trust God that He will provide for you. And when you do that, you are freed up to, to follow a leader who is worth following, 
who will never let you down, who will always guide you and show you what the next step is. And to be able to be a part of something that is truly incredible, to be a part of God's kingdom. Uh, My prayer is that, that God would use this sermon series we're going through to continue to push us to be about God, to be about God's kingdom, and to be about God's people. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that you, uh, that you have given to us and shown us how to live. I pray that you will help us to draw near to you uh, and that we would, uh, in, as we do that, be, be about your kingdom and that we would do that as a community, that we would all work together to praise you and to, praise, uh, and to lift your glory up. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.